Welcome to the Unlocking Athletic Potential podcast with Ian and Johnny. Discussing our passions of sport, OCR, running, and fitness to help you perfect your craft. What is up, guys? Welcome to this week's episode of Unlocking Athletic Potential podcast. I am your co-host, Johnny Tew, and as always, I'm joined by former international sprinter, fellow hybrid endurance athlete, and Spartan Pro Team member, Ian Deeth. What's up, people? Our focus is to have meaningful conversation exploring the limitless journey of what it takes to push one's physical and mental performance. This week, we have a legendary guest joining us. He is indeed a dominant athlete. Ian and I have had the chance to battle it out with him a few times in the APAC series. And when we say battle it out, as in we mean we were looking at his back probably <laughs> so far ahead of us. We know him as one of the best racers and have proven it through the years, especially taking second place at the Spartan World Championships back in 2013, back when it was still in Vermont. He has also shined in his endeavors as a coach, entrepreneur, and as a family man. But to most, he is still an iconic enigma. So joining us is the man, the myth, the legend, Matt Murphy. Hey welcome, guys, welcome. it's a pretty big, um, yeah, it's a pretty <laughs> big spiel far out. It's uh, 2013. When you think of that, man, that was uh, whew, it's pretty much seven years ago. Not much off because I think it was like October or September 2013. Wow. Seven years, yeah. a lot, a lot changed since then. Definitely, a lot has changed. We know you as a Spartan racer, an obstacle course racer, but also an amazing trail runner because we know like a couple of athletes, such as like Colleen back in Malaysia, has joined you in your training camps out in Bright to be uh, forced to be reckoned with a couple of years back when she was still competing. Mm. What has gotten you here? What has been the journey, your background? Because I don't know much else besides you being an OCR athlete. I know you probably have a trail background. I've heard things about triathletes, but yeah, what has gotten you here? Yeah, um, well, I guess, yeah, it was when I was pretty young. Um, I guess in, in Australia, we have um, a cross-country scene, very similar to England, I guess, or the US. I was ranked number one in Australia for pretty much anything over five or three to 5,000 metres, whether it was track or cross-country. And then when I was about 15, um, I met a lady who was a triathlon coach, and she said, look, can you ride a bike? And I was like, yeah, I can ride a bike. Um, and she's like, well, can you swim? And I was like, well, no, I can't swim. Um, so I learned to swim. And um, within, what was I, so 15, within three years, I was um, representing Australia at World Cups uh, around the world for triathlon. So racing for Australia, whether it was for the for junior world championship titles or under 23, or um, I never went to the senior world championships for elite men, but I raced uh, the World Cup scene. So whether that was Europe, around South America, the US, et cetera, like this. So um, there was a pretty heavy triathlon background i guess for five seven years something like this it was pretty full-on racing literally around the world so i spent two years in europe and two years in america and that was yeah like you, your goal is to represent your country at the olympics and uh got pretty close but then some major injuries and a few things happened and it was just like ah uh, things happen for a reason um so when i was 22 uh, pretty much finished up on the triathlon scene and started my, uh, I guess, coaching career um, with business, et cetera, like this. From 22, I had a very large coaching business, about 450 clients. Wow. So that was pretty pretty serious. And found obstacle racing back in, oh, man, I want to say 2010, maybe 2009. It was just a business thing. You know, you want to do things for your clients to keep them interested. So I found this thing called um, Tough Bloke. It was called, and I just took 60 of my clients to this event. And This is in Australia, right? Yeah, tough bloke in Australia. 
And yeah, my clients loved it and I ended up winning it and we did a pub crawl on the way back and it was just, it was awesome. So from then on, it just got out of control and I started to slowly look at this thing called Spartan Racing Hobie Carl. He was like, he was the godfather. So for a good chunk of time, it was like, all right, I want to go to America and race Hobie. And (laughs) I knew, I guess I knew that with some of my background with, with triathlon, I knew how fast uh, Hobie could run as in um, it was like, well, I can run 31 minutes for 10 K. So like the guy can't over 10 or 15 kilometers. I'm sure he can't beat me by too much. And I was pretty strong too, as in, cause you know, you know what it's like as a PT, you just, you're doing stuff. Um, so I could still run pretty fast. I thought, oh, I guess I'd have to give him a fair shake. And then um, I guess, yeah, just got to a point in 2013 where I thought, all right, we'll, we'll have a good dig and we'll see if I can get over there and um, have a go. And I kind of rocked up and no one knew who I was. And, yeah, Hobie got me with, I think, three three k to go. He got me on the spear throw when I hit the freaking wire in the um, hay bale. Oh, man. Oh, couldn't I mean, believe still, it. That still kind of happened nowadays, but it's not the hay bale anymore. It's the this foam, but there's a strap in the middle of it. So if you hit the yep. strap, it just bounces right back out. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And then, yeah, once I had those 30 burpees, the cramp started in. And, yeah, finished up second over there. And, yeah, just slowly I just kept my finger in the pie of OCR. How many Spartan races, Matt, did you do leading up to that 2013 World Championships? It was probably like five or seven, I reckon. Because okay. I think Spartan Race Australia started, yeah, in, in like 13. So maybe it was only like five. If they started in 12, I'd be surprised. But I'm pretty sure it was 2013 that Spartan Race started in like February 2013. But I'd been following it a bit, like as in um, looking at who he was and what he what he'd do, and sort of some ballpark times that I'd sort of you know have to be competitive with. Even though Vermont's a mountain race, at the end of the day, if you do a lot of mountains and you got a VO2 max of near 80, you're going to be competitive. So figured that I'd be able to get over there and have a good crack. How competitive was the scene in Australia? There was a couple of good guys back then. Not as good as it was, say, in 2017, 18. Um, the field wasn't as deep. Um, what you'd get a lot of the time is a random rock up, <laughs> like an adventure guy like Jared Kohler, or you'd get <laughs> um, you'd get Australia's, you know, one of Australia's top five 10,000-meter runners rock up or something like this. Um, so you'd get a random guy or two, and then there's probably just one or two guys that you'd really have to battle with. The field wasn't that deep. Now, from what we know from the Australia Spartan race starting from like 2016 on, some of the obstacles were kind of different from what they offer in the U.S. Was that your experience yep. when you first hit up 2013, the, the world champs, when you got there? Like a lot of it was a surprise to you or not surprise, but more like different variations. Uh, back in 13, uh, not so much. I think um, I guess it's pretty meat, meat and potatoes as in um, you've got to have good grip. So if you've got good grip, it doesn't really matter what's in front of you. Um, if you've got good balance, it doesn't matter what's in front of you. If you can lift heavy shit up a hill, then it doesn't really matter how heavy it is. The sandbag in Vermont was ridiculous. It was so heavy. I remember when I finished, whoever was leading the female that year, she couldn't even lift it. She just gave up. She just stopped on the side of the track, and that was her race done because she could not lift it. Wow. It was stupid heavy. Like... <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I was very surprised how heavy it was. Like, and our main guy in Australia, his name when he was running it was Max DeLacy. And Max is one loose unit. Like, he's like, well, you're here to do Spartan Race. Like, it's meant to be really hard. <laughs> and he used to make stuff really hard. And then when we got to these sandbags, I put one on my shoulder. I was like, holy wow. Like, we've got to take this heavy thing up all the way up there. Like, 
it was freaking crazy, man. I think for our listeners as well, Matt has given a full recap of the 2013 World Championship race, which is on YouTube. So I think it's about 15 minutes. It's a really yeah. good recount of that race, how he bows his way up the field and people seem to be falling by the wayside, but you soldier oh. on until there's a top three place within your sights. And then a little battle with uh, Hunter McIntyre, who some of our listeners, I'm sure, <laughs> was, will be yeah. familiar with. I'm that, sure that... Um, <laughs> Hunter, well, Hunter, yeah, he caught me. I saw him post a video, and I really like Hunter. He's a nice guy. I saw him post a photo, or no, 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 a little video the other day or the other week where he pushed um, Isaiah Vidal out of the way at um, <laughs> DMX. And, man, we got around with the last climb to go with one of those pancake bags I think we had on our shoulder. That wasn't very hard, whatever it was. But he had a little bit of distance on me, not much. But when I caught him, I caught him at the um, um, gondola gondola stabilizer or beam in the ground. And I remember just pushing him out of the way. And I was like, get out of my way, man. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I pushed Hunter. But I think now he'd uh, yeah, he'd make a fair meal of me because he's sort of uh, – He's a little bit bigger now than he was back then. <laughs> Absolutely. So I guess transition from all this, um, what was your mindset like from going from triathlon to coaching to knowing that you have a chance to do this? But what was your motivation this entire time frame? Well, I'd had a few years away from racing. And so I would have been, what, 27, I guess. Yeah, something like 27. I guess it was I was still young enough to have a really good dig at it. I still had the time availability to really have a good dig, but also had a really good training network around me as in of people. So I think it was just, look, I reckon I can do it. So I may as well have a good, good crack at it while I'm, you know, still pretty young. And mind you, there were some of the guys that I was training with in Australia. Um, if they had the experience that I'd have with racing, they could have beaten me quite easily because, you know, there's a guy in Australia called Ryan Roberts and he was an animal man, but he just hadn't raced and had as, as much experience that I'd had it you know, had with racing and how to approach a four to five hour event. So I guess the team around me was freaking awesome. Like at three o'clock every Monday morning, we'd run three hours, 3 a.m. that is, we'd run three hours because that was our work schedule. And yeah, just the team, I guess, as together, I think we had a 20 week block of training that I'd planned out for everyone and said, if we want to do it, this is what we're going to do. And we'll go over there and try to kick some ass. Uh, So we'd go like a, a four and one every single Saturday or it might have been a Sunday, I forget, apart from the one-week deload, uh, we'd have race simulation at this place called uh, Arimba State Forest and there's just steep, gnarly hills. So week one, it would be like an hour race simulation. So hour, full noise. Week two, it would be an hour 15. Week three, it would be an hour 30. Week four, it would be an hour 45. Then regress, don't even bother touching it. And then week six, we'd go an hour 45. So we start from week four again. And we built up to like four hours, full noise. How much vert, how much hurt, how much heavy shit can we lug up hills for four hours? And then I knew, I think I said to Bracken, Bracken just said something. um, I forget what it was. And I was like, well, man, if, if anyone can beat me, like they must have trained really hard because I know the shit that we've done. And we went hard. Um, overall, it was pretty selfish. Like, yeah, the guys that I trained with, we went really hard and we had a good plan. Lots of hill repeats. Holy shit. There was lots of hill repeats. <laughs> Were you tinkering, do you feel, on that fine line between optimal performance and injury during that time? Because that sounds like a hell of a lot of a workload. Or were you feeling like your progression was fairly balanced and you were managing that quite carefully? I think out of the guys, I probably recovered the best because I you know was able to sleep I didn't have like a full-time job I was able to definitely recover get the massage do 
the small things right so that I could recover getting ready for it. Whereas the other guys, yeah, they were definitely, they were pushing the boundary with having a week or two off here and there because the workload was too much. Just to give the listeners a bit of a overview of your Spartan record, 20 races, you never finished less than second position. So you had a a 100% record of stepping on the podium. That's Jack Bauer verified. (laughs) So we we know it's correct if Jack Bauer's looked into it. Well, um, well, it is, but, 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 but last November, obviously. Oh, well, you know, well, we, yeah, so, yeah. we'll come on to that, Matt. We'll, uh, oh, we'll yeah, come on to that shortly. Yeah, we'll yeah, come yeah, back to the comeback. But yeah, during yeah. your time, when I say you were serious about the sport and training regularly yeah. towards that firm goal, the 2010 to 2015, 16 period, uh, maybe a bit beyond that, 100% record, which is absolutely phenomenal. This included a second place finish at the World Championships during that time as well. And I believe you were involved in that race. John Albert and Ryan Atkins, they came over and did yeah. did a race yeah. in, in Australia. Yeah. And I feel you were part of that as well. So it wasn't like the competition was always simple, you know, and against who I would regard, and I'm sure Johnny would and, and yourself, the two premier males, maybe alongside Hobie Call as well and OCR, John and Ryan. So how was that race in Australia? Yeah, it was good. It was it probably didn't suit Ryan and John's uh, strengths because it was actually uh, it was a sprint race it was five kilometers through a stadium <laughs> it was very similar to the philadelphia um, stadium race um, that I, I did over there in 2013 where you've got lots of tight turns really really steep stairwells really steep going down stairs with heavy load sometimes i trained definitely very specific for that race because where i used to live on the central coast there was quite a lot of intricate car parks and st- areas where you could I guess become quite dynamic and get used to the way to descend stairs very fast so I wouldn't say that that race suited them but still hey I'll, I'll take you know I think I got second that time Lockie Danzy beat me in that event then it was me and then I don't know who was third maybe John was third I can't, or Ryan I can't remember but it, yeah it definitely wasn't a race to suit them but still hey as I said I'll, I'll take it <laughs> I'll take it win over there maybe any day Absolutely. We mentioned some of the iconic names within the sport, John Albin, Ryan Atkins, Hobie Cool. I feel people from outside of Australia and certainly within the APAC region would put Matt Murphy, yourself, within that category. But who was the athlete you respected most in OCR? Who was the one you looked up to? Man, I think Hobie, you know, like um, before John and Ryan hit the scene, like he's freaking, he's legit. But the thing that he's got is experience. He could rock up. 20 to 25%, I believe, less prepared than anyone else and still beat them because he, he's so smart. He knows what he has to do on the day to expose someone's weaknesses. Um, he definitely outside the box to just figure how things work and make it more efficient. Man, he's um, he's legit. Like, he hit me up years ago. Uh, he was like, look, I want these shoes uh, because I feel that the terrain that we're going to be tackling in um, Tahoe, this is going to be the shoe that I need. Uh, but can you also send me a pair of these because maybe the smaller lugs are going to suit uh, because I want something similar to the Nike waffle. Uh, so back in the day, VJ Sport used to do a VJ Sport Amass, which mm-hmm. is similar to the Nike waffle, just with a little bit more meat. I think that's the best shoe that VJ Sport's ever produced, but they've canned it. That was, to me, apart from super muddy peaty sort of ground it was the superior shoe that they ever made because the lugs were 4.5 mils and it was light light as hell and it was a lot more rigid than their new speed shoe you know he's thinking just little things all the time you know i need to have this best shoe you know i'll even pull out the inner sole to make the shoe just that little bit lighter he's just smart man and so yeah i'd I'd say that until john and ryan came along and then you know i think between those three it's 
yeah, one half dozen the other half. <laughs> I'm sure you were maybe aware. I'm sure you are aware. Jack Bauer ran a competition to find out who was the the kind of greatest of all time OCR athlete, and Ryan Atkins and Lindsay Webster ended up becoming joint champions of that competition. Mm-hmm. I feel maybe the vote was very US centered in terms of the audience who were voting for that. And in the first round, you were pitched up against Matt Novakovic. Matt from Alaska, I think you called him. And uh, just to let you know, Matt, I I voted for you on that one, not Matt Novakovic. And I I believe Jack Bauer as well also voted you on that, but where maybe the audience weren't so familiar with you. Yeah. You got knocked out initially of that Seve competition. Were you aware of this competition? I um, Actually, Matt Matt was on my radar for... um, Matt was on my radar for Vermont because I think a few months before Vermont, he had a race in maybe Massachusetts or something that he beat Hobie or he kicked some serious ass on some serious vert. I remember looking at him and he mentioned some sort of VAM, so vertical ascending, um, his ability to ascend X amount of vertical meters in an hour. I guess I'm going to see if you know I'm at all capable of doing what he could with ascending vert. And I was like, oh, I could do that. So you know, he mustn't be too far out of my reach because he was definitely on the radar for 2013. And then I think after the water crossing, there was like um, some ropes that you had to grab under a bridge and he slipped and fell into the water and he had to do burpees and he cramped and just laid on the side of the trail um, and it was game over. Yeah, he was in front of me until like four-fifths of the way through that event at Vermont. He was legit. He's a good athlete, but you did end up beating him by nearly 40 minutes on his own turf. So, <laughs> what uh, What's he doing these days, I wonder? I think he's tried to do a little bit of an OCR comeback a couple of years ago, and I know he was boxing for a period as well yeah. but didn't beat matt murphy did he at that championship so, uh, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was in good shape then hopefully i can get back to that kind of shape one day after 2013 how was that progression like what was your focus because i mean we see yeah, you look, saw starting from 2017 on yeah so i think um after 2013 probably stayed pretty hardcore into it and then a few things changed obviously you have a kid time gets away and then you know i guess the eye on the prize it does vary a little bit and then pretty much when we moved in 2015 down to our new hometown in Bright, I'm more focused on the trail running side of things. I was getting pretty heavily into the endurance trail running because where we live, it's the most mountainous region around in Australia. So I was fairly caning that end of 2016 through 17. That's when I started to shorten things up and I came over to Asia with Jared Kohler a lot um, and smashed a big year back end of 16 all the way through 17 and pretty much November 29th I think it was the APAC champs in Perth was the last race I did I had signs of Ross River virus so one test came back positive one test came back negative so I pretty much just worked and laid in bed for a year Um, can you you clarify what that is because I'm not not familiar with that it's a mosquito-borne virus that's similar Uh. to I guess chronic fatigue so that was pretty messed up didn't do much just worked just worked work work that's all I did building a business uh as you do so I was pretty psyched with that 2017 slash 16 block I was like yeah I'm, I'm gonna start to have another good crack at this and then yeah I knew there's a race in our hometown called Four Peaks where you race up the largest four peaks you get about 5,000 vert uh, maybe like 60 kilometers or something so it's, it's pretty tough country I knew in that event there's something wrong um, because I just didn't have a punch and then after that event I fell off a cliff as in fatigue wise but I still went to Perth to race so I raced Perth and suffered big time only just one 
which I was in much better form. Like I was in form to just to crush everyone, but I just rocked up and sandbagged. So yeah, after that, I was like, look, I need to go see what's wrong with me. So I did. And then, yeah, just didn't race again. And since then, it's just been um, pretty much business and a lot of motorbike riding, more adventures. Um, and now I've just sort of started to slowly, yeah, start to go, all right, well, maybe I can get fit again. I'm just doing a lot of more adventures at the moment, super low heart rate, just trying to lose some weight and get strong again. Just before we move on to kind of the next chapter after the OCR, that 100% podium success rate during that time you were competing, was it under threat at any point? Was there a, a race where literally you snatched that podium at the last minute or you were fairly confident going in and the race has panned out as you expected? Definitely top three, yes. Definitely never, never number one. But the way I'd race in Australia due to, I guess, the way that I used to, how fit I used to be was... I'd go out so hard that most people, pretty much everyone would, they'd break so that even if I blew up, I'd still be okay. Or even if I had a one to two obstacle fail, I'd made sure I haven't had enough time. So say in a super, I'd make sure that at the seven or eight kilometer mark, I'd have a three minute lead to make sure that if I get a two burpee penalty, I can still win. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen Matt ever again after the start line (laughs) you were racing yeah i've got to agree with that i've raced you know john alvin a few times and ryan atkins a couple of times as well and um i've never seen anyone go off like yourself matt i just remember that malaysia race (laughs) that was unbelievable man yeah jared collar and i man that was hard (laughs) one that i was a bit worried about was um the south korea one remember when super mountainous yeah it was insane. It Korea was twenty-one kilometer beast with like eighteen hundred vert. Like, and this is coming from a guy that lives in like the hilliest part of Australia. I think the first climb was about five to six hundred vertical, and yeah. there were still like four guys with me going Those up the first are climb. Ridiculous with the mountain climbs. They they yeah, just sh- and I, they shook everybody. I was like, holy shit! I should have like a two-minute lead by now in Korea, but eventually, I think. Obviously, the endurance did help me because that was an extremely tough day out. Like the double tire carry up like 150 vertical meters, I thought it was a piss take. I was like, <laughs> you, you can't be serious. Like two tires and you're looking up and you're like all the way up there. It's like if I drop a tire on someone, yep. I will kill someone. I think that's actually what happened because, uh, well, it didn't kill anybody. It was crazy. Some, some of the, this, I think this might have been like one of the first few Spartan races in Korea and a couple of the, these guys were really, really good trail runners. So they had the legs for that endurance for it, but mm-hmm. they never really did the obstacle part. So they got up to the top and from what I saw, a couple of them actually just let go of the tires and kind of like, <laughs> they, did. They, just, they just let it roll and catched it and caught it whenever and they threw themselves down there. And I was like, I don't know how that worked, but it was okay. Yeah, it was, was at that point. I even said to Max, one of the guys here in Australia that had Spartan race at the time, I was like, man, That's it was <laughs> ludicrous. Like, you couldn't expect punters to rock up to this race and ever think of coming back. Because when you looked at that climb, you're like, so you're telling me I've got to take 30 to 40 kilos up that. Like, wow. I won the thing and I thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> I was shattered after that race. I'm guessing it was harder than that kind of 1K bucket carry in Malaysia, was it? Oh, that was tough. You know, I put that, I coached a guy at the time called Peter Norris. And I used to coach him for a lot of bucket carries. You know, it's like the plumber that never fixes his bloody pipes. Um, <laughs> Pete never dropped the bucket. 
I must have sat that bucket down 10 to 15 times. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> oh, that bucket was just stupid. But I just are... remember turning up to the bucket. You just finished it. Some Kenyans were, were yeah. walking off the course. They were done. <laughs> you thought they might be trying to skip the bucket. Yeah. And you were like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. And uh, you and... just looked at me. You didn't have to say anything. And you were like, I, I knew what was coming. <laughs> I kind of and that was unbelievable. Yeah, I can get pretty feisty when I'm racing. <laughs> that could be all of us here. But that, yeah. that first, I think that whole first APAC, uh, the APAC regional year was an interesting year for all of us because, you know, some of the obstacles wasn't standard, but that's also a fun yeah. year because you don't exactly know what distance you were getting. You don't know what obstacles you were getting. Yeah. So I think the whole first, like, you know, from 2010 on to 2018, 2019, where, before it was standardized, that was the, like, the fun and interesting part of these obstacle yeah. courses. It's more like an adventure, right? And you did yep. you did a bit of an adventure racing with X-Terra also, right? Yeah. Yeah, I used to. What did I get? I got, uh, I think I got ninth. I think it was ninth or 11th at uh, Xterra World Champs back in 2010. Yeah, that was, that's tough. That Xterra racing thing is tough. Like I was a solid mountain bike rider and um, man, those guys, like I think I had the fastest swim, like the 26th fastest bike ride and like the third fastest run. These guys on a mountain bike, it was <laughs> ludicrous, ludicrous how fast they were. It was pretty cool. That was in um, Maui, I think. Pretty wow. sure it was Maui. It was in Hawaii. That was cool race. That was very, very neat. I used to, yeah, I, I recognized that <laughs> my mountain bike prowess was uh, never going to be quite uh, world class. <laughs> so I guess looking back to all these different disciplines, all these different races that you've done and activities, can you pinpoint what were some of the disciplines or mentality that really carried you through and like help you outshine as an athlete? I think experience is pretty important. Just having all of these, you know, little golden crumbs that you can fall back onto through stressful situations, stress not just being, you know, mental or emotional, but, you know, physical stress that like I'm generating my own physical stress, but now I need to think clearly to execute A. And that comes from, you know, whether it's mountain biking, you know, having a high heart rate and picking the cleanest line possible or being in the water and getting smashed by a wave and making sure that you understand that you've just got to relax because at the end of the day, you will get a breath. I think experience is a big one and experience comes with time. You can't get experiences without, you know, shedding the tears and putting in the sweat. I think a big one would be, the track running side of things in the cross country look at max king you know mm. like he's legit obviously you know he's all all-time american uh cross country kind of runner you know like he's he's unbelievable and he's raced a few obstacle ra- course races and gone pretty damn well apart from grip strength and you know heavy carries he'd kick everyone's ass i believe i think he's run a 815 or an 811 for 3000 steeple like <laughs> Like, you know, running fast, getting from point A to point B on your feet extremely fast. A lot of us guys that are getting older focus a fair bit on the the longer endurance side of things because it's fun. Yeah. Whereas the younger guys that are coming through, they're running fast. Um, And once you get older and you start plodding along a bit, it's hard. Like I couldn't dream of running a sub sub nine-minute 3K at the moment. Like that's a 20-week project, I reckon. Oh, no, sorry, it's longer. It's probably a, <laughs> a year project for me to run sub nine. But, man, I could rock up on the track when I was 17 and run nine minutes, not backwards, but like it was a piece <laughs> of cake. But now, oh, man, like I'm a lot stronger, but I'm just not as fast. Talks about experience there, Matt. 
obviously you've passed on this experience through some of your coaching projects. One of the early coaching projects you combined with John Alban and Ryan Atkins. Yeah. How did that work out? It was good. Um, I think we might have been too early for our time. We put a lot of work in. There was there was a hell of a lot of systems behind the website. At the end of the day, it broke even. It, it definitely never made any money really because there was so much stuff in the back end. I wasn't the coding guy. One of our business partners was the guy that focused on the back end. But there was a hell of a lot into it. There was a lot of work. We had yeah had a good bit of fun. We definitely put our touch on it. At the end of the day, it's obstacle course racing back then was making sure that you could obviously run through difficult terrain quite quickly. So once again, cross-country style running and some track work, mixing that with you know a generalized running program, but making sure that you've got your grip strength there, you've got your injury prevention work. But I think now it's definitely changing. It's getting a bit more specific, especially let's say at the OCR uh, World Championships, not so much Spartan race because the obstacles aren't as demanding. Having some experience on specific OCR courses when you rock up to OCR style world championship events where it's it can be very intricate some of the things that you're approaching and some of the high demand on grip it's almost gone to another level as in the grip strength where that has gone I feel that I could you know eventually maybe get competitive back at Spartan Race this is no disrespect to Spartan Race versus OCR but I don't think I have the time or the passion in the rock climbing world and things like this to explore uh, some of the grip demands of uh, the OCR world champion style events. Does that make sense? No, definitely. Absolutely. It's definitely more demanding and a different type of discipline. You have to really put mm. in the work the intricacies of kind of ninja style sport thereafter. Yeah, like the whole Ninja Warrior thing. I worked for Channel 9 quite a bit here in Australia on Ninja Warrior. And you could see even guys that were strong as hell, that were rock climbers, that could out-climb and out-grip any of the other guys, the guys that have the hands-on, no pun intended, experience of lacheing, of getting that bar in exactly the right groove at the right time, understanding that dynamic grip hold when you're moving horizontally through the air rather than potentially vertically, Um, understanding how to shim across those inch boards because they've got that feel for how it feels. Experience. Yep. You know, experience, experience, experience. I think about that statement you've made about the timing of when you launched that coaching business. I feel with the boom of online coaching now, particularly during this this COVID-19, where people have been crying out for that kind of coaching and that combination of yourself, John and Ryan. <laughs> I think if you'll be you know, now, seriously, it'll be. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's all still in the back end, but I guess the good thing is, is that Ryan's got his thing going on and I'm not talking for him, but I would imagine that I don't think he'd be really bothered. Same as John. You know, John's just moved house to a new city where he messaged me and said, these are the best in mountains in the world. Like when I said, why did you move? He goes, because I wanted the best mountains in the world. And I've got a good business. My wife, she's got a good business. We've got Jack, our son. I I just don't need anything else in life. If you said to me that it could make, you know, a good chunk of money, I just, I don't need another thing in my life. I've got enough. Yeah, it might be great, but if it's going to mean that I've got to sacrifice time, I'm time poor enough. I don't need to, yeah, I don't need to be more time poor. 
Awesome. So let's talk about that because you have your coaching business and you have VJ Sports as well. Yep. Let's talk about both of those, how those are going as well. Yes, yeah, so we've got uh, two gyms here in Australia, pretty much in our hometown. We've got one in Bright uh, that we have a 350 square meter facility. In another town that's 30 kilometers away, we have a 500 square meter facility with another coach. Um, and he practically just runs the gym with a bar and Pilates and yoga teacher. He's the strength and conditioning coach. And then at our gym, we have a hot yoga studio, a um, wellness clinic upstairs, and our strength and conditioning floor. So yeah, we're pretty busy. Uh, I think there's 27 classes, maybe more, maybe 33 at our gym in Bright. And wow. the Myrtleford gym has, I think, like 22 classes a week. And we've pulled that back since COVID because we just went, you know what? Too much. We just need to pull back. If you want our services, then this is it. If you don't, go somewhere else. So yeah, we're, we're pretty busy with that. And then yeah, VJ Sport Australia. Um, we've had that for four years now, maybe four and a half years uh, we've had vj sport in australia and that just ticks along um does its thing obviously with covid vj sport is a very it's an event specific product so when there's not an event on the horizon it's not a big i guess training specific shoe unless you live in an environment that i live in or a very harsh environment whereas in australia and a lot of the places we ship to it's more event specific so we haven't been selling as many shoes as we normally would but that's all right it is what it is. Every it's you just got to roll with the punches, you know. It's been a good run for a few years, and you know, take the good with the bad. Yeah, got to say, big fan of, of VJ Sports. And oh, they're just I really love the XRMs. Yeah, they're an amazing shoe. Like, yeah. they, they say the best grip on the planet, and it yeah. really is. It's a phenomenal yeah. shoe. If it's it's, it's raining, wet rock, it's phenomenal, and obviously that's proven <laughs> by the quality of the number of athletes using it. Right. I, I look forward to where they're going to go in the next three to five years with some of the technology that they'll. Um, Keep implementing. For those of our listeners don't actually know, VJ Sports Shoes, they have a couple of variations of their shoes, trail run base. They can be used for OCR, adventure races, climbing and, and everything and so forth. They even have ones that for road specific, right? Well, they've got a speed shoe. Um, yeah. Yes, it would be, they call it a summer orienteering or a summer yeah. hard pack orienteering. So in Australia, that would be a town style orienteering so yes it is on hard pack which is tarmac they've even got a winter range of hiking shoes with carbon carbine studs like full ankle protection almost like a hunting boot for the you know your super cold yeah. climates they've got a big range of stuff so matt has definitely helped me a lot in having vj sport part of my running outfit and and just one of the shoes i trust because prior to that i was wearing a lot of innovate trail running shoes for my OCRs, but the thing with a lot of my innovates, like the second I touch rock or wet moss, I am flying. I don't really have any sort of grip. And look, I'm sure Innovate will come along with that, but at the end of the day, it's, it comes down to bottom dollar and VJ Sport yeah. is willing to sacrifice margin on the best product to implement into the shoe because they're such a small company, they can afford to do that. When you need the best rubber on the planet, like, that shit costs a lot of money. <laughs> um, so their margins are low. It's exactly true what it says. And me and Ian are big proponents and fans of it. Um, I think our friend Lou introduced us to the VJ back in the day. And then I spoke to you afterwards. I was like, well, we, need, we know Matt Murphy. Mm. Like, totally confused. So anybody in the in the Asia region that needs VJ shoes, of course, uh, VJ Australia. Yeah, yeah, to we go ship to. There. yeah, we ship there quite a lot. Cheers, guys. It's, um, yeah, no, it's definitely, yeah. we definitely move quite a quite a bit of kit over there. It's good. Matt, I'm interested in terms of your role within your business with, with the gyms. Are you overseeing that? Are you actually getting in hands-on with some coaching yourself? 
So my wife would do the back end of the business. So that would be managing, I guess, all the clients as in payments, etc. We have a system where you have to book into the class, especially now with COVID. So we accept only 20 people into a class. So I coach all day Monday, have see about 100 clients on a Monday. Then I have Tuesday off. We have another coach come in on a Tuesday. So I just do some sort of fun thing on a Tuesday. And then I only coach half a day on a Wednesday and half a day on a Friday. And the other coaches do everything else. Because it was just getting to a point that you just nonstop, like seeing 100 clients in a day, that's, it's or maybe sometimes more. Yeah, that, it's a lot of touch points and it can be quite fatiguing. So yeah, I'm pretty much just making sure that I'm, you know, p- people are happy and they're enjoying their experience, making sure I guess everyone's injury free, uh, making sure that the program's are where we want them, everyone's having fun. Um, it's to a point now after a lot of years that I guess been in the game for a long time, we can finally... Yeah, get a little bit of time to yourself and enjoy having the business and trusting other people to work within the business well. Nice. Certainly, Bright's not too far from Singapore. And certainly in the future, when things open up, I'd love to come out and spend some time out there. Oh, it's a good spot, man. So uh, I'll come out, bring the wife out, and uh, we'll we'll get some some training on that. You want to come out in sort of that end of March, April, start of May, because otherwise the summer – well, you're used to hot summers, but the summer's here – 38 to 44 degrees Celsius. Wow, like extreme dry. <laughs> and then in the winter, minus 5 to 11 degrees Celsius. The summers, are re- you don't want to be here in summer, especially with the amount of snakes we have. Training is <laughs> training's difficult in summer. You've always got to think. Like it's you can't do single track. You've got to be smart where you train in summer. Okay. April. April's, April's the month. Sweet. Yeah, man. You talked about your illness, which almost put an end to sort of your progression in spine in 2017. Mm -hmm. And there was only one thing really to do after you have such an illness is come back and do a race over eight days, which is 270 kilometers with 16,000 vertical meters of climb over four countries. Transalpine run, which you documented on Instagram. It looked phenomenal. I believe it was Andrew Papp. You yeah, did that. Andrew, yeah, yep. good mate of mine. Yeah, yeah, he gave me, I think, eight weeks' notice because his other buddy pulled out. And I was like, oh, man, I can't not do this, bro. So, yeah, I put my head down and tried to get some endurance uh, in the legs and, I guess, some mitochondrial base. It was such a good experience. Like, it was just awesome. We were meant to be in France at the Aria Trail. That was 330 kilometers this July, 330 kilometers with 19,000 vert, but obviously COVID shut that down. Um, yeah, I won't forget that experience. That was awesome. Freaking awesome, man. What would you say the highlight would be for that, oh, that whole entire Every audience? day. You just, you're hiking or running two mountain passes every day. It was just awesome to see where your two feet and a heartbeat can take you. It's just nuts and the vibe. Him and I get along really good. Just, yeah, there was a lot of suffering. You know, there was, I think we did 54 hours of work in seven days of racing over eight days because we had one day off. Yeah, 54 hours, I think it was. It was pretty full on. But just every day, like seeing what your body's made of. It was cool. It was very, very cool. Such an experience. Looked incredible. Certainly. As somebody who struggles as the distance gets longer, I was quite inspired and it certainly put a thought in the back of my mind of something I'd yeah. maybe yeah, think about was, doing when the Spartan journey is The biggest thing you need to make sure is that partner that you have, you work well together because I understood that 
I'm a lot lighter than Andrew and I've got a lot more experience in Andrew. So I needed to understand that my role in that was getting Andrew to the finish line every day and not toasting him. We weren't there to race. We were there to have a great experience and see what our bodies could do. And we definitely did that, I can tell you right now. But choosing the right partner is imperative because even under immense duress fatigue, you need to understand why you're there to see what you're made of. And that led to the comeback, didn't it? The, well, the Spartan yeah. comeback in Bright. Obviously, you had this 100% record. Yeah, never finished yeah. lower than second place. Obviously, you knew the time you were competing, oh, yeah. you were putting a full effort into that. And was there a, a worry coming into this in terms of no. this? No, I was fully aware that I was most likely going to get my ass handed to me. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's the way it is. I also understand that, you know, if I can put 12 to 16 weeks in the books now, it's like, well, you know, you guys will have to be careful because, well, it's it's pretty simple. You know, you do a 10, 400 meter test and I'll know where I'm at and I'll know if I'm competitive right there. Or if I do a five kilometer time trial, I'll know where I'm at. It's just all engine base. And I knew before that race that I couldn't break 18 minutes for 5K. So I knew I'd get my ass handed to me. <laughs> oh, wow. That's kind of your benchmarks where you know you are 10 times 400 or a 5K time trial. That will yeah, give you a good just, indicator of where you're at. Yep, 10 fours on the two minutes. That's always a good one just to know what you're made of or my 5K time trial. If you're running under 16, 16.30 for 5K, you're going to be pretty competitive any day of the week. That's where I'm at, Matt. There you go. You're on. <laughs> I'm not. I can tell you I right now. <laughs> I've been nine, four and a half months on a trim. I don't even know what my 5K time is nowadays. <laughs> but then obviously you've got all the other stuff of, you know, learning to descend fast, learning to climb fast, all this nutrition and all that jazz. Obviously that comes into it, but, you know, meat and potatoes, yeah, 5K. It's, um, and you'll know, you'll know where you're at. Has anything changed in your mindset as, as you're taking the comeback? I'm spending a lot more time on the bike, just the mountain bike, just getting out, just for the endurance case because my body... It's not ready. I'm too heavy at the moment to be doing big endurance running kilometers. I'm doing big endurance hiking kilometers, but I'm not doing big endurance running kilometers because my body just pulls up too sore. So I'm not bothering with that. Um, so I do those big Ks on the bike. So I've been spending about anywhere from six to eight hours a week on the bike. And then the rest is, yeah, just running or hiking or doing a lot of vert, trying to do some decent intensity vert. That's pretty much the only thing that I do that is decent intensity is going up. Everything else is low intensity. Because I just pull up too sore. So are the goals more towards the kind of longer multi-day transalpine races or Spartan or family? Or um, I think at the moment, I want to just get to a point where I have a big enough engine to not be made look stupid doing anything. So whether it's a 5K race, I know that I can run some sub-17. If it's running across the Alps in Europe, I only need eight weeks notice and I'll I'll be ready, not to be competitive, but I can survive. I can rock up to a Spartan race and know that, all right, well, there's more than likely that I'm going to give the top boys a good shake here. And then I think if I can come out of that that side of things injury-free, um, then I'll, I'll turn it up a notch. Um, yeah, you just got to be careful with life in general. I don't want to put too many eggs in that basket because at the moment work pays my bills, work pays my bills that makes me happy that I can have a nice lifestyle and everyone at home and my friends and everyone's happy so I don't want to put so much emphasis on that that anything changes from that yeah we'll see we'll see what happens I think I'm 36 this year so not that that's too old god look at Hobie still you know 
he would have kicked ass this year, I reckon, at World Champs because from what I heard, that was his gonna was going to be his plan, but I don't think that's happening. I, I don't know. Look at Ian. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm 41 last uh, 41. Month, there you go. Yeah. Um, so, and you're in sub-16.30 shape. Boom. Yep. I just want to, yeah, I think get enough base, be injury-free, and stay as happy as we are with business and life, and then we'll see if we turn the screws any harder from there. But it's more about experiences at the moment, as in um, going to have good times. But definitely Europe... If we can get to Europe next year, Pap and I are planning to do that big uh, race in France um, just to go get smashed. Sounds awesome. It sounds like you've got your priorities absolutely bang on. And I guess, you know, you've had so much success in a lot of boxes. I I don't like using the phrase boxes ticked, but so many fond memories and great accomplishments to look back on. You know that the most important thing for you is now time and family and anything Mm. else and any other experiences that come along is just simply a bonus. But you still have some big plans to push your body and live life to its fullest. Yeah, I think it's good for Jack as well to see, you know, the cool shit that we can still do because Jack, my son, he's almost six. Yeah, he's he, you're a product of your environment. So, you know, he, hopefully that shines through him as well and he goes and does some cool stuff. We like to like, tend to close with mm-hmm. um, what items would you say would help our listeners or just other people taking in other athletes to unlock their athletic potential, their mental potential? Oh, I think a huge one is consistency. There's so many great tools that are out there now that you can monitor your training load so that you, A, don't get sick, B, don't get injured, and C, stay motivated. Um, you know, whether you use one of the whoop wristbands even Strava has a load device, uh, whether you use the um, SRM, is it? The, um, you know, your stress score, um, utilizing yeah. these tools uh, to your full potential is a big deal because stress on the body doesn't just come from flogging yourself in training. Stress is like this whole COVID thing for some people is very stressful. That's going to result in, you know, adrenal fatigue and things like this, and that's going to result in you getting sick. Monitoring your injuries, things like this, there's no point in, you know, exponentially increasing increasing your training like because something will break um so yeah i think consistency is is the biggest one if you can put 20 weeks six months just thinking you had six months of training together i know that's more than 20 weeks but another timeline is just six months just stay consistent and you will see very huge results from that so yeah i think consistency is the biggest one that's why i'm doing what i'm doing now i'm not running big k's because i know i can't stay consistent because i will get injured that's your lifestyle and enjoyment and those are the things that will stay right yep i guess before we go uh you like to share with our audience provide them with some additional insight where they can find you yeah look on instagram at uh murphy i think it's murphy underscore maddie i might have to check that i'm not huge on it ah yeah tag all that in and look yeah if if you're ever after a pair of shoes bj sport australia we move a lot of stock around the country um and if you ever yeah want to come to australia to get some training in i'm sure we can sort some yeah we can definitely sort some stuff out just like as you said colleen has come out before and done some big k's i think she's fighting full-time now is she she is yep she's transitions into mma yes it's great but yeah look just hit me up uh as you said you guys will put uh any links in there we've got a good clientele out here we live in a beautiful spot so god worst case she's coming to see uh bright victoria when uh this whole thing <laughs> bloody eases up eh? Absolutely. Well, hope we uh, shed some light on Matt today. We definitely learned a lot more than we do normally having our chats or racing against him, <laughs> staring at his backside. <laughs> Glad to have you on, man. Thanks, Matt. Nah, cheers. Appreciate it, guys. 
And that, my friends, is Unlocking Athletic Potential. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and taken something away with you to help you perfect your craft.